Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been reflecting a lot about Jesus as the wisdom of God and the power of God and how he comes as the world's savior and Israel's Messiah, but in a way that is so under the radar. And as disciples of Jesus, I think we need to really tune into that revelation, which uh, Paul calls word of wisdom. It's the first of the gifts of the spirit that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, this Logosophia. And um, this word of wisdom is really uh, a revelation of how God saves in, um, which is most visible in the cross. And I'd like to just start out by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul really names this very powerfully. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, um, right at the beginning of uh, Jesus's process, you know, his trial, and, you know, when he's being brought to the cross, you know, we see, you know, he's arrested after being betrayed by Judas. He's arrested in the garden, and then he's brought immediately before the Sanhedrin. And um, it's the Sanhedrin who are the, uh, the council of the elders of the people that represent both chief priests and scribes, and they bring him to their chamber. In uh, Luke 22, verse 67, they ask, if you're the Christ, tell us. And, um, and so that's one of the main things they want is for Jesus to incriminate himself. And, of course, they don't believe him to be the Christ. They're expecting uh, a, a Christ figure who would come and be representing sort of a God of vengeance who would strike out against the enemies of God's people, the Gentiles. And, you know, Israel was under Roman occupation. So he it was under the authority of Caesar. And so they expected really the Messiah to come as um, like almost like a Davidic figure who would be a warrior. And he would also be all about the law and about, you know, the high priests and the Sadducees, the, I mean, the Pharisees, the, you know, the religious leaders, their whole system of, of, of observing the Torah to the letter. And so Jesus, the way that he came in and went to the marginalized in Galilee and, you know, and, and called sinners and tax collectors and healed lepers and, you know, really bridged the divide between the outsiders and the insiders just all the, all the time. I mean, that was just a major threat to them, especially because Jesus had such popular support and there were just masses of people that were so moved by him, right? And so they were threatened by that and jealous of him. Anyway, Jesus answers them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. And then Jesus offers them information that incriminates himself fully. He says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And so here we have language that's very similar to Paul, who talks about how, you know, what's foolishness to the world is, is the power of God, you know, for us. And, um, and they all said, are you the son of God then? And he says, he said to them, yes, I am. And then they said, what further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And so here, um, 
Jesus has admitted to being God himself. And, um, but he's also the Messiah. And it's that way of being the Messiah, the way that God reveals God's self in, in this humble way, you know, where he's been delivered over into the hands of the authorities. And, and now he's about to be brought before the political authorities. You know, it's, it's that way of, of, of being the Messiah that looks like foolishness to the world, doesn't it? And um, if we look now back at, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, we see that Paul develops his thinking even further here. You know, he sees God's means of, you know, of coming in Jesus as something that actually destroys the power of the powerful. It says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So Jesus, he is um, the Christ and he is um, the king, the king of God's, of the people of God. But, and he is going to come in and, and actually bring about, you know, upend things and destroy things. So he's, re he's a revolutionary. There's no doubt about it, but not in the way that they could identify and definitely not in a way that the Roman Empire uh, could identify as a threat because Jesus's whole way of undermining the powers and the principalities and, and of destroying the power of Satan was to come in under the radar uh, with this wisdom of God that was a hidden wisdom that Paul's going to talk about soon. And so um, where is the wise person, Paul writes, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so, um, you know, Paul is naming Jesus's way of being Messiah weak and foolish looking. And, um, because he says, indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. And, um, and this continues to be the case today. You know, um, the gospel is going to look like foolishness to the world and a stumbling block to, to the Jews, you know, to people that are monotheists who, you know, who abhor the idea that God could be revealed in a human being. You know, um, Jews and Muslims both see that as complete blasphemy, that God would become incarnate in a human being like, especially, you know, Jesus. And so let's just look again at how this um, revelation of Jesus was received, you know, by the powerful in Luke chapter 23. Then the whole body of them got up and they brought him before Pilate and they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Okay, well, interestingly, um, these guys are, you know, according from their perspective, Jesus is misleading the nation. And, and of course, they, they're mixing that testimony in with some outright lies about, you know, not paying taxes, forbidding people to pay taxes to Caesar. And, and they're giving the impression in a crafty way um, that Pilate should be threatened by Jesus as an upstart, as a revolutionary who is really about earthly power. And, um, but Pilate asked Jesus, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. 
And then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no guilt in this man. And um, so Jesus wasn't impressive enough to cause Pilate to feel like there was any kind of threat here. And of course, he's just been arrested in the garden and he's in custody. And the religious leaders, you know, the high priests and the scribes, they all oppose him. And he's being brought to Pilate, who is the representative of Caesar, who does have the power. And just prior to this, he was also blindfolded and um, mocked and beaten, you know, by the by those who were holding Jesus in custody. And and so clearly Jesus was just uh, someone that Pilate looked upon as just maybe, um, you know, harmless. And um, And so Jesus was really under the radar at this point, wasn't he? Because he's not harmless. He's actually God's um, secret weapon that comes in under the radar to actually destroy the power of death and to undermine everything um, that is uh, that represents the powers of this world. So anyway, the, they kept insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Okay, well, that's that's true. You know, he is stirring up the people, and may he stir us up a lot more than we're stirred up now. And may we carry on this teaching all over um, as well. Now, when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. So the first thing Pilate is thinking is like, how can I get this this group of people, these accusers, out of my, you know, out of my uh, court? And um, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at that time. So, you know, um, when Herod, um, he was very glad when he saw Jesus because he'd wanted to see him for a long time because he'd been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. So Herod clearly wasn't threatened by Jesus. He didn't see the Jesus movement as threatening his political power, you know, his military power up in Galilee, even though Jesus, all of his mission was taking place in the villages that were under Herod's jurisdiction. So all he wanted was just to, to see a miracle, like he wanted some entertainment. And um, so he it says he questioned him at length. But check this out. Jesus answered him nothing. So Jesus refuses to play any kind of political game or to, um, you know, just to impress Herod in any way. He's silent before this one who sees him as a curiosity. And the chief priests and the scribes, they were standing there accusing him vehemently, it says. And then it says that Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Clearly, Herod was not in any way afraid of Jesus as, um, you know, as the Son of God, as Israel's Messiah, as the world's Savior. And really, Pilate and Herod were like agnostics or, or, or atheists in a way. They both just saw Jesus as, as a nobody. And, um, and it was at that point that they actually became friends, perhaps around that agreement that Jesus was, you know, not to be worried about. Now, Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. So, you know, I've thought about that and just thought, okay, well, it's probably now um, the unity that they have is is sort of a, a unity of, of just both of them agreeing that, you know, that Jesus is not to be thought about or worried about or, or 
you know, he's nothing. And then it goes on, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you have made against him. No, nor has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. So clearly, Jesus was just viewed as, um, as foolishness, right? The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And, um, you know, this weak manifestation of God's power is, is something that um, causes Herod or, and Pilate just to even refuse to take him seriously enough to execute him. But Pilate says, um, I will punish him and release him. So Pilate is just trying to appease his subjects, isn't he? It's like even though he has stated that Jesus is completely innocent, he says, I'll punish him and then release him. And then it goes on. Now he was obliged to release to them at least one prisoner. But they cried out all together saying, away with this man and release for us Barabbas. And he was one who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. And they kept on calling out saying, crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. And um, so imagine this, um, just how, in a way, this just confirms the Jewish religious leaders' disdain for Jesus. You know, they were expecting a Messiah who would represent power over the dominating powers. And here's Jesus who's being recognized as powerless and, and as impotent and as really not being in any way a threat, you know, by the Romans. And, uh, but they were insistent and with loud voices, they were asking that he be crucified and their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And so Pilate is representing um, sort of the authorities who, who just go with um, sort of the popular opinion you know, of the day, the, you know, the masses who are, you know, who are, who have their vote and, and they're casting their vote now. And he released the man that they were, that they were asking for, who'd been thrown into prison for the insurrection and murder. And he delivered Jesus to their will. And then here we have, um, they lead him away. They seize a man, Simon of Serene, coming in from the country. They place the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. So here we have what Paul is describing, the foolishness and the weakness, don't we? And, um, and so Paul goes on and says, um, you know, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, you know, we don't yet see the power of God and the wisdom of God in um in this story do we or or maybe we do if we if we you know once we move further through this story maybe we can see the power of god power and the wisdom of god revealed in um, in what's happening here but paul says because the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men and then he goes on in chapter two 
When, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superior of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And so, um, you know, Paul keeps insisting that that really this way of the cross is, is power, and it's even more powerful than the wisdom of this world. But what is the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever that God describes as something that he's going to set aside? You know, um, if we look right now um, at what's happening in the Ukraine, we can see a manifestation of the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. You know, um, Putin made a very calculated and dangerous um, choice of deciding to invade Ukraine to enlarge in the greater Russia. And it was a nationalist and Christian nationalist, you know, Christian Orthodox nationalist agenda. And that has obviously just brought a huge amount of chaos and trouble into that part of the world. And, and there's no excuse for this invasion of this sovereign country, the Ukraine. And, um, and there's, it's, it's so evil, just, uh, just the amount of death and destruction that is happening, um, you know, all led by, by Putin with these Russian forces that are advancing. And yet look at the Western countries, you know, the NATO countries in the U.S., you know, the response that we've, that we've, uh, that we have, you know, uh, Joe Biden, his response has been really, you know, just from the start, just very antagonistic towards Russia. And the Ukrainians have been calling on on their on their friends, you know, the U.S. and all the NATO countries to send in all kinds of weapons to help defend them. And they've called for no-fly zones. And, and of course, I think they'd love for, um, you know, for the U.S. and the Western um, NATO powers to send in troops as well. And yet what the U.S. is doing is just sending in all these weapons. And this represents the wisdom of the world. The idea is that, you know, that Ukraine can hold the Russians from advancing and um, keep the country from being taken over by Russia. But the larger plan is to, you know, is to humiliate Russia and to offer it, a, you know, just to defeat it, really, and to, to wear it down through economic embargoes and, and through just loss of life and destruction of their, of their army and humiliation, and to bring it uh, to bring Russia to the point of maybe overthrowing Putin. And, um, and so the whole approach is using the Ukrainian uh, soldiers and the resistance as the front line, you know, for this larger geopolitical political maneuver. And, um, and who are the beneficiaries of this exactly? Well, on the one hand, um, the Ukrainians are, you know, are delighted and Ukrainian nationalism is maybe at an all-time high. But, um, you know, because Russia is being pushed away from places like Kiev and, and other, you know, other cities. But on the other hand, it looks like the behind the scenes beneficiaries of all of this, uh, 
the strategy are large U.S. weapons manufacturers like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon Technologies and Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics and Boeing. You know, clearly um, these are the are the people that are taking away huge profits from this conflict and are stand to gain just massively by um, because right now all of the NATO countries are concerned and and they want to arm themselves. You know, uh, Germany has just approved 100 billion euros to modernize their armed forces. And so the wisdom of this world would would lead people, uh, these nations that are close to Russia and surrounding Ukraine and some of the former Soviet bloc countries to want to do everything possible to prepare, you know, for, for this to possibly happen to themselves as well. And so um, all kinds of contracts are being signed you know, with these companies like Lockheed Martin and Raytheon Technologies. Um, F-35s fighter jets are being ordered, have been ordered by Germany. And um, some analysts talk about the F-35ification of the European armies, how it's very good business for the U.S. military contractors. And um, we see that groups like uh, Lockheed Martin's, their stocks have soared to nearly 25% this year. And Raytheon General Dynamics and Northrop Grumman have risen by 12%. And so for defense contractors, um, Joe Biden's approach and, um, you know, the, the NATO countries' approach is just extremely great. And it's helping the U.S. economy as well. And so because all these weapons manufacturers, they provide jobs, don't they? And it's U.S. taxpayer dollars that are going straight into the coffers of these, um, of these companies. But what is the impact of that? Well, I've been reading a little bit about the weaponry that's being sent. You know, we have these um, shoulder-fired Stinger anti-aircraft systems that um, are very effective against aircraft and that were used a lot in Afghanistan. And so it, Russian um, airplane, air, you know, airplanes and helicopters are being shot down. We have these shoulder-fired Javelin missiles which are, are really stopping the Russian advance in their tracks. You know, hundreds of Russian tanks have been blown up. I mean, these Javelin missiles are super effective at destroying tanks. And that's been the main way that Russia has been advancing into the Ukraine. And in addition, we have these howitzers. We have drones, special switchblade drones, they're called, which crash into enemy targets before exploding. And so all of this is provoking just more anger and um, even less discriminate or, or indiscriminate attacks by, uh, by Russians who are desperate to save face and who now justify even more violent actions like um, destroying hospitals and, you know, and, and, and bombing uh, civilian targets. And so really we have um, more and more uh, destruction of human lives, you know, uh, Ukrainians, you know, thousands uh, have been killed and uh, and even more Russian soldiers are, have died than Ukrainians. And then we have millions of refugees that have left the country and uh, just a huge loss of, uh, of just material, you know, like buildings and airports and bridges and highways. I mean, the, the destruction of the Ukraine is just massive. And so really the wisdom of this world is is leading to uh, just more death and more destruction than ever before. And um, 
you know, and, and yet the Ukrainian authorities just want more weapons and even more, you know, force on their side. And so here we have an example of, you know, of the, of human wisdom, which Paul says, um, he quotes th uh, the scriptures that say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever, clever, I will set aside because God has another weapon that he's bringing out, you know, which is the weapon that he's already shown us um, through sending Jesus as his hidden arrow that is going to pierce right into the heart of the powers and destroy death itself. And that's what's described as, you know, as preaching, uh, the preaching of Jesus Christ in him crucified. And, um, you know, and Paul preaches that so strongly and manifests that in his very way of being. And I think we have so much to learn about this, you know. Um, but let's just look at it directly uh, in the gospel itself in Luke chapter 23. So we see that Jesus then um, models a way of, of, of being with people in weakness and in much trembling, and um, which Paul wants to emulate as well. You know, Jesus shows us another way of dealing with, you know, with conflict and evil. And um, the crowds are following Jesus and they're mourning and lamenting him. But check it out. Jesus shows us a way of being present in the midst of conflicts. And in, uh, in his weakness, Jesus even continues to minister. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And so we see that Jesus um, is actually warning. He's comforting the people, but he's also warning them. And he's stating some of the very same things that he said when he came into Jerusalem you know, earlier in, um, you know, in his triumphal entry, you know, he comes in and when he gets to Jerusalem, he, um, he wept over it saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And so Jesus is warning them of, of the troubles that are going to come uh, because the Jewish religious leaders, their notion of, of resistance was really uh, informed by this wisdom of the world, which was about uh, actually at using um, insurrection and violence to counter, you know, the Roman Empire's military strength and just choosing to go the way of violence. And that was a way that actually provoked the Romans to finally destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. And, um, you know, and Jerusalem and the temple and everything were completely destroyed and there was just massive bloodshed. And so Jesus is showing them that the, this way of the wisdom of the world uh, that was that was being uh, you know promoted by the Jewish religious leaders and and also defended against by the Romans um, you know which is going to lead to this bloodbath which we're seeing right now in the Ukraine 
and we're seeing all over the world where people wherever people choose to use violence two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with Jesus and so let's look closer at this crucifixion you know this cross that that is the power of God when they came to the place called the skull there they crucified him and the criminals one on his right and the other on his left. And so um, then it says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So is this a manifestation of the power of God that Jesus is able to be so fully present with the very people that are, you know, that are crucifying him? And um, there in this uh, going to the cross, as um, as a man who is also God's son and is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. Just, uh, this is a powerful act of solidarity with humans and, and then forgiving everybody. Father, forgive them. Certainly that must just include um, everybody, you know, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests and the scribes and, you know, and the, the Romans and those that arrested him and, and, and Judas and you know, and Peter who denied him and, you know, the Pilate and, and Herod and, you know, um, everyone that preceded this story and everyone that followed him, Jesus intercedes before the Father and says, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. You know, the wisdom of this world is, um, is, is informed by, um, you know, by a source that really is blind to the spiritual realities and the wisdom of God. And they don't know, and we don't know, and we're informed by that wisdom from the world. We don't know what we're doing, and we need forgiveness. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there's also an inscription above him that said, This is the king of the Jews. So we have this prophetic um, naming of Jesus as, as the king, which he is. And um, But in the face of these true affirmations, we have just continual abuse of Jesus. One of the criminals who were hanging there um, was abusing him and saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So everyone is wanting this wisdom from uh, below, this human wisdom, this cleverness of the clever to come to the rescue, right? They want to see Jesus um, exercise actual human power and not uh, go with this way of suffering love. You know, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him. And here's the first sign of somebody that really is uh, tuned into another wisdom. Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, he says? And he, we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And uh, I just love this um, this request of this humble um, criminal, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
and um, and it's this kingdom of Jesus that we need to set our sights on. It's clearly not a kingdom that is um, that is represented by Herod and Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders, but is represented by Jesus himself, who's this humble king, and um, who says to this man, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And the text continues in verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. So here we have this power, powerful act of uh, the tearing of the temple, which, uh, you know, in other gospels, it talks about it being torn from the top to the bottom, which looks like um, since Jesus is hanging on the cross was an act of the father. And, um, and it's this tearing of the, of the temple veil that creates the complete, um, break, breaks the separating wall between the sacred and the profane, between the outsiders and the insiders. You know, it's Jesus, um, his dying between two criminals. And um, it's right at this point that all of the separation between God and human beings is, uh, is destroyed. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And, um, and while um, at this moment of complete relinquishing of his spirit, that's when we have the complete subversion of, of the powers and the principalities. And right at this point, one of the centurions saw what had happened. And he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. You know, so it's really um, the innocent victim who comes and who submits to death, um, an unjust death. It's, it's the, the reality that this is the Christ, this is the King, this is God's very Son, God himself, who does this, that um, represents this higher wisdom that is the wisdom of, you know, that Paul is talking about. And all the crowds who came together for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, they began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. It's like they're getting a glimpse of this very different other and superior powerful power of that Jesus is manifesting. And now in closing, let's look at what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 and following. Paul writes, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Okay, so there is a wisdom that we need to learn to tune into and to talk about, which is going to be completely other than the wisdom that informs um, people like Joe Biden and, and Putin and the rulers of, of the nations. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the wisdom hidden, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. None of the rulers of this age has understood this wisdom. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Wow. So um, Jesus came in so under the radar um, that he was able to, um, through 
the giving of his life completely uh, really destroy the greatest threat, which was death itself. It's, it's like um, a precision strike. You know, the cross is a precision strike. It's, it's God's wisdom. It's God's hidden wisdom that we see manifested in Jesus that is, um, is the wisdom that needs to inform you and I as disciples of Jesus. And, um, and if they'd seen it, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have gone about, um, they wouldn't have come into agreement, you know, with the crowds and I mean, with, you know, religious leaders and, and just had him executed because it was in, in their killing of Jesus that, that their power was, um, you know, was, you know, was completely made null and void. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, the Lord of glory. For just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And, um, and Jesus, uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural human being does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to that person, and they can't understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But here's the invitation. But the one who spiritually, who spiritual appraises all things, yet he and she herself himself is appraised by no one. But who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct the Lord, but we have the mind of Christ. So I feel super inspired by this. I want to invite you to really pursue this wisdom from above, this wisdom that's revealed in Jesus Christ crucified, this um, wisdom that um, that is that looks like foolishness, but is the power of God. And may we, like Paul, not depend our, on any kind of superiority of wisdom or uh, but come in weakness and fear and in much trembling so that um, our faith isn't dependent upon human wisdom but on the power of God. And may you experience the power of God breaking out as you cling to Jesus and embrace this beautiful gospel.